Welcome to another edition of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. I'm sorry to have missed last week's conversation with Genius Sports with Chris. I listened to it. Great, great conversation. Nice job. And we talked a little bit about gambling and balls and big balls and small balls. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about big balls and small balls today. Three balls. Three balls, at least. <laughs> right. so. Or three balls. Exactly. And, right. um, you know, for the people who've listened to our shows, a lot of times we kind of get to topics before they become a little bit mainstream. But if you're listening to this, um, and we're in the middle of the NBA Finals right now, um, there will be an announcement, which you'll know about probably by now, about an expansion of basketball into the Olympics. Not five-on-five, five, but three-on-three. Three. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today, what three-on-three three is, how it's a global game, um, how someone as an entrepreneur can get involved in something like this, because that's kind of what we have. And it's Michael Rainovics, the CEO and founder of 3Ball. Michael, welcome. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good to have you, Michael. So before Lots we get to talk about yep, here. and before we get into it, you've kind of got an interesting background, both as an entrepreneur, as a filmmaker, in and around sports, being from the Bay Area. So why don't you talk a little bit about kind of your circuitous route to getting to this this new opportunity, which is about to emerge? Sure. I mean, there are a few different things. Uh, one, uh, actually, made a, a documentary film. We had a production company called Sports Junkie. And uh, I don't know if people remember when Barry Bonds set the single-season home run record back in 01 with number 73. There was a little controversy uh, after that ball landed in the stands, and uh, people were fighting for the ball. They thought it was worth millions. And two guys ended up in a dispute that went all the way to trial. And I made a little movie about it called Up for Grabs. And uh, at the time, the dot-com boom had, had basically gone bust. And uh, so I, I saw that ball coming down as like the last drop coming down from the dot com boom. And uh, were you at the game? I actually was not at the game. Yeah. Uh, I, I was definitely as a Giants fan. I'm, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm a Giants fan my whole life, and so I was following very closely as as the season progressed along. And you know, everyone was wondering if Bonds was going to to get there or not. And of course, this was before uh, the other controversies around Bonds' home runs. Uh, but, uh, but you know, as soon as I read a little blurb in the paper the next day, as it, they're kind of going through the whole season he just had and the photographs, there's this little blurb that says, uh, brawl in the, the bleachers over a ball. Uh, and I, I read that there were witnesses and all that, and I just started thinking, God, this could be quite a documentary. And I was thinking, you know, Christopher Guest style from the mm. beginning. So, but, uh, right. but a real But one. did you have a background in the movie making business or was this a spontaneous thing? It was sort of spontaneous. I mean, at the time I was thinking of, of moving into the, the film world and uh, I, I had been uh, working at a company uh, called Street Space where we were doing, this is obviously way before YouTube, but we were focusing on short form content. We had... Uh, wow. We had our own studio with a, with a bunch of very talented producers uh, sitting at editing stations, and it was focused on uh, you know two to three minute little mini documentaries about things going on in the local area. Wow! So a uh, pioneer in yeah, short form uh, video ahead of our time. Generated, right? But and actually, that was sort of the first foray into sports because what we were doing was building uh, a, a kiosk based broadband media networks before we all had had it in our hands 
And uh, so we actually worked with the San Francisco Giants and did a deal with them to, to get our kiosks into what was then Pac Bell Park. And so it was the first uh, first access of that kind in a, in a major sports stadium. So before, before we get off that topic, so did the Giants, and, and we'll talk a little bit about MLB Advanced Media, uh, but did the Giants actually, allow, you were able to get video from them or it was user-generated content that ended up on these kiosks? It was a combination. It was it was those videos that I was mm-hmm. telling you about that we were producing the original stuff, but also uh, you know a big part of it was that we would have this little walled garden, and fans could watch Giants highlights. They could wow. get news updates. Uh, they could see stats, things like that. So mm-hmm. remember, Joe, that was before smartphones. Not yeah. everybody was walking around with high powered. They're walking around with fax machines, their, probably. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then before we get off the, the baseball topic, what happened to the whatever ever happened to the ball and the two guys who got into the fight? Well, I'll be spoiling it for anyone who's never seen it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it went all the way to trial. Uh, the judge basically ruled that they needed to split it in half. They had to go take it to auction. And basically, these two guys who couldn't stand each other and refused to talk to each other had to become partners in a sense. And uh, it's like marriage. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so all of a sudden they're working together and they, they took it to auction, but it ended up going for a lot less than anyone expected. Mm-hmm. And I think there was just a lot of negativity and uh, dark clouds over the whole thing. So in the end, it went for uh, for $450,000. And so the, the plaintiff in the case, uh, he had been running up this huge legal bill. Uh, he ended up owing well over $600,000 to his attorneys because he didn't do a contingency deal. He just assumed this thing's going to go for a couple million. I mean, McGuire's ball went for what I, I'm having trouble remembering now, but I think it was like 2.3 million or something. Mm-hmm. So the, he thought it was going to be this huge windfall. And next thing you know, it's it's down there and he's only getting half of the 450. So wow. it was kind of a wow, down cautionary four, down tale. 400K. Bad deal. Yeah. So speaking but, of... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, so other things. Uh, we did something called Dr. Doug's Big Fat Baseball Adventure. Uh, How is Dr. Doug these days? So, oh, he's good. He's, a, he's actually my dentist. There you go. <laughs> really a quirky fan. Who, so we worked with uh, uh, MLB Advanced Media on a little pilot uh, where a fan actually had a camera on his cap and uh, on a wireless network, and he was basically life-casting all of these experiences at, at games. And then uh, I was working on a, on a film project on the Stanford men's basketball program, and uh, you know, really got to see uh, you know, what life is like for the players up close and what their futures would hold. And this was this great team at Stanford. One guy on that team, Josh Childress, made it to the NBA, but the rest of them didn't. Uh, the fans, was, was that Mike Montgomery at that point coaching? Yeah, this was his last year there. And so I, I, I was able to talk him into letting us kind of follow the team that year. Mm-hmm. And so it really was kind of this, the seed for what we're doing now, which we can get into. Mm-hmm. But it was just, there are all these great players. They have a huge connection with the, the local fans. Uh, they're, they're basically local celebrities. And then all of a sudden they're gone and they're playing thousands of miles away. So we started thinking about, could there be a league for these for these really you know, elite players uh, here in the U.S. Uh, where, you know, people could actually continue to see them play. So that, so I ended up creating this league called the Basketball Alumni Legends League based on that. That was a five-on-five concept. And we had, you know, like Lefty Drizel, uh came out of retirement and coached our Maryland team. 
Uh, we had Phil Ford coaching our North Carolina team. Uh, Johnny Newman, the all-time leading scorer at Richmond, uh, was coached our DC team. And uh, we had a couple. This was uh, 2012 and 13. Okay. Wow. We actually held these events. Uh, they were at George Washington University at the Smith Center uh, in Philadelphia. It was at uh, Hagen Arena, St. Joe's. And so we had teams that were loaded with outstanding former college players from all the schools in the area. We had a, our Virginia team. We had the, the entire starting five from the VCU team that went to the Final Four. A couple of our guys made it to the NBA. Henry Sims out of Georgetown. Uh, Deontay Christmas out of Temple. Mm-hmm. And so it, we had a really uh, very strong reaction. Uh, we, we were on TV. The games were, uh, were on CSN uh, regional networks. But... It wasn't going to be the next big thing, uh, and so it, something else started to to grab our attention. And How'd you finance it? That was with uh, just private in investment, okay. and, uh, and actually one of the initial investors in that uh, is, is named Tad Toby. He's the main investor in, in what we're doing today. And Tad Toby is best known for... From well, sports. In, in the sports world, uh, and actually a number of things, but uh, going all the way back to the USFL yeah. in the early 80s, he was the owner of the Oakland Invaders. Wow. So, so kind of, so kind of a, and we like to talk about disruptors, and yeah. you talk about a disruptive league, and probably a guy who's had kind of a disruptive path in a positive path as a businessman as well, correct? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, he, he made his fortune in the real estate world in, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, You're starting to remind me of someone yeah. <laughs> else in our country. Uh, USFL, major, real major differences. I can promise. Except he wanted to keep it in the spring and not move it to the fall. So. Okay. That's right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, Tad always uh, felt that it should have been an off-season mm. league. That's actually the the first way I was able to attract him to what I was doing because it was always about doing it in the off-season. So uh, the, the ball, the Basketball Alumni Legends League, that was in the summer and so is – so is three ball mm-hmm. that we're doing now, uh, but he always felt like the USFL would still be thriving to this day if they hadn't made that move. I agree. I think you know it was it was something to watch, and uh, the ratings were okay. But again, that's going down another. Yeah. So, so so what's so the, go back to the chronology. Yep. So the Legends League is not the next big thing, and but you saw an angle for it to evolve. So tell that story. Yeah, well, as as we were working on that and thinking about the next season and how we were going to develop it further, uh, started to hear about something going on in th- with three on three basketball, and uh, and it was really FIBA, the the international federation, the governing body that oversees all basketball. Uh, they have really been pushing three on three. They they saw it as the best way to grow all the basketball around the world. And one of the reasons for that is it's more accessible. Uh, you, you don't need as many players, obviously, and you can play on just a half court, one basket. So, uh, and then when you think about international competition, some of the countries that would never be able to field a, a very competitive team in five on five, or you need 12 guys, uh, all of a sudden it would open it up for them. So FIBA has really done an amazing job, uh, not only pushing uh, three on three, and by the way, they've rebranded it as 3x3 to sort of distinguish it from you know, the, the pickup mm-hmm. uh, version of 3-on-3 three that we've, we've, mm-hmm. all, uh, we've all played. Uh, and, and obviously it helps that it has that as its, its foundation. But also they've they developed new rules. 
I mean, the game is so intense. So do you, want, want, you want to talk about some of the rules as you kind of go through them? Because sure. that would be interesting for people to hear. Well, obviously, it's half court, one basket, but one of the keys is the 12 second shot clock. So if you're mm. thinking that it's going to be easier on you because it's half court, not at all. I mean, it's like a constant fast break. And, uh, and one of the other interesting rules is that after a made basket, the other team takes it out of the hoop and immediately the shot clock starts and they've got to clear it and get their offense. Clear it past the arc? Yeah, or that's past right. The foul line. Exactly. No, the arc. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so, and, and I should mention it's, it's ones and twos. One point for a basket inside the arc, two points outside. And the first team to 21 wins. So one of the cool things about it... Get to win by two, or is it... No, okay. just, just one. And it's actually... That's a, old school, Joe. Very old school. <laughs> <laughs> Playground. And it's a 10-minute it's a game clock, so if a team doesn't get to 21, when 10 minutes are up, it's over. So these are short but very, and very fast-paced games. and But with that 21-point rule, you have the sense of urgency on, on both sides from the opening to the end of the game. Yeah. It's just something that you just... It's the only way you see that kind of intensity from beginning to end. And it's always tournament style. So you know, there'll be a number of teams competing, and, uh, and so you'll, you'll get to see all these matchups. So what about coaches? Are there coaches involved? Because it was one thing that I had read as the Olympic rule comes out is that it's not really, because of the speed, it's not like you've got guys drawing up strategy. It's you have to have it done pretty much when the game starts, correct? Yeah, so you can have coaches for training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, running practices and all that, but one of the interesting FIBA rules is there's no coach during games. Really? Players are yeah. on their own. Wow. Yeah, and it's four players. Mm-hmm. So you have three on the court and one reserve uh, at all times. But that's it. And that's one of the interesting things about it is because you only have three guys on the court and and only one reserve. Every one of the players is very involved in everything that happens. Uh, so you're uh, you know an outstanding player. Uh, you're going to see them in all their glory uh, because they're they're going to be getting right. the ball that much more. It's more open space. They, there's more room for creativity, and it's also just nonstop action. You don't have all the time of the ball slowly being brought up the floor. And and then fouls. And the other question is, if it's only ten, is there a three second rule? I mean, does it matter if you have big guys, small guys, or you just need very athletic players? If, from a, a team composition standpoint, I mean there are. Different ways you can go, but the, you really need truly versatile players who can who have every skill in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, ball handling is huge. Uh, you know, dry, being able to drive, being able to shoot from outside. Everyone's got to defend. You, you there's no help. Mm-hmm. You can't hide on defense at all. You got to be able to stick to your guy. And uh, but, but like I said, shooting is huge. So you're not going to have anyone. You don't even have role players, really. So everyone has to be able to do everything. So, so Michael, back to the narrative. So you, so you hear about the growing popularity with FIBA's endorsement of three x three. Yeah. Um, and so, how did you parlay that into the creation of three ball? Well, it actually took a while to to come to the decision that we were actually going to make that pivot, okay. and there were people that had to. Uh, sort of buy into that as well. So eventually, we did decide that we're going all in on three x three, and and part of that was actually uh, getting to see it firsthand and just uh, how the the incredible entertainment value this game has. And uh, so so we made that move. Uh, well, I I haven't actually even talked about uh, uh, what we're doing. It's called three ball, um, and we're actually creating a league 
that will will start in Northern California with plans to expand all around the country. But this is professional 3x3 basketball, and uh, the players will be playing with uh, you know money on the line, and uh, we'll be playing in some interesting locations, and really trying to create a situation where the best 3x3 players in the world are going to be playing in this league. So for the people who don't know, you've actually you've helped put together a team that won the silver medal in the world championships, and there is a world championship. So when you went to a world championship for the first time, obviously not in the United States, for FIBA, what was that like as from an experience? And then how did you find a team and put together a team that actually ended up winning a silver medal? Yeah, well, I'll start from there. I mean, first of all, it was just once we found out there was an opportunity, uh, there was only one qualifier left uh, before the USA Nationals. Uh, this was last year, 2016. And so because it was in Chicago, I uh, decided to focus on players who were actually based there. And we were able to get a, a really strong group of four players. One of them was DeAndre Liggins, who, who ended up uh, playing for Cleveland after mm-hmm. that. Uh, and we just figured out the right skill set we needed, combination of players. And so they won that Chicago tournament. Uh, and this was just in a, you know the YMCA down on the south side of Chicago, uh, so just in a gym. They win that. They uh, and one of the teams they had to beat there is this year's national champion that's about to go to the World Cup. Uh, where, where is that? This year, the 2017 championship is where? That's in Nantes, France. Okay. And that's coming up. That's June 17th mm-hmm. to 21st. So uh, a lot of interesting uh, things going on around the 3x3 world right now. Uh, but so we win that. Uh, that gets us to the USA Nationals in Colorado Springs, and we swept through that, and then it, it got to the finals against a team from Harlem that is known as one of the best teams in three x three, and had this nail biter of a game. Ended up winning on a, a two point shot, which is the equivalent of three at the buzzer, and that got us to the World Cup. That was in uh, Guangzhou, China, wow. and. Just an incredible experience there. Uh, just all these teams. There are 20 teams from different countries around the world. They're all wearing their colors. It's just it's like the Olympics in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's interesting because the U.S. has been a little bit behind in 3x3. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the, the dominance that it's had in 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, and so like the New York Yankees uh, of 3x3 are actually Serbia. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the team that represents Serbia is specifically from uh, Novi Sad. Uh, so and are they former NBA players? They're no. These are guys that just they've been playing this game. It's a and, circuit. Yeah, and yeah. only this game for years now. And it's these same four guys they've stuck together. So that's a big advantage that they have. Uh, of course, at this point, it's more like in the U.S. It's guys who've been playing five on five. We were introducing it to to these players, but they really took to it. And those guys, Serbia, China, those teams, are they paid? Like you talked about a pro league and. We'll touch a little bit on on, uh, on some of the other things that are going on. but So are those guys like traveling around the world making money playing three-on-three basketball? Yeah, first of all, they have sponsors, okay. uh, but and obviously they win a lot. So uh, so they've, they have more opportunities than, than some. Mm. But uh, there are cash prizes at every They're, one of these international okay. tournaments, yeah. So uh, the world tour in particular that FIBA puts on, the prizes keep growing, and so they, yeah, they can make a really good living uh, by just continuing to, to hit the whole circuit. 
Anyway, so Michael, when you think about um, the pivot from the Legends League into the new three-ball league, uh, it'd be interesting for everybody to hear, for me and Joe, to hear um, how you're approaching each, each facet of the business as you actually create this new entity. So marketing, media, sponsorship, monetization, et cetera. Can you take us through that? Sure. I mean, we're, we're definitely at an early stage here. We're actually not launching the league until next summer. Uh, June of 2018 uh, but at this stage uh, our main focus is on finding our locations our, our venues uh, media rights is obviously a big thing and one thing I, I should say is this game is really made for the times as far as you know mobile consumption mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything is, is sort of migrating toward mobile obviously and here we have a game where First of all, it's much easier to follow on a small screen because you have more space, you have less bodies. You don't need a long shot, right? That's right, yeah. So you've got tighter angles. It's not a situation where you're taking something that was really ideal for the big screen and forcing it on to the smaller one. So, uh, and actually, I, and I think that also makes it very millennial friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's the way uh, so many of them are actually consuming content. And right. here's a fast paced game. With uh, which you could almost call short form, since the, the games uh, you can watch an entire three x three game in about eighteen to twenty minutes. Right, same so, time as the TED Talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, just uh, and and it also is a good match for VR, considering where the technology is today and the, the intimacy. Absolutely, mm -hmm. or wearables, right? Absolutely, yeah, monitoring definitely. the tracking the players and and monitoring their. Biometric readings and things like that, I suppose. You got it. Yeah. So what we decided to do... An interesting test test bed. Yeah. You know, for all the things that are going on with sports tech when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, we actually see a lot of potential for, for three ball to be kind of a, a lab uh, for, for a lot of things out there. But uh, we decided to actually focus on Northern California, which is where we're based. And uh, so it will be in the Bay Area and the Sacramento market to start. And in each territory uh, for three ball, there will be eight teams. So it, it's not a situation where you have one team in the city, one team in another city, and there's a lot of travel. We're actually going to have self-contained markets where every event is a tournament and a, a champion will be crowned at the end of the weekend. Uh, so it will be a franchise model, so you'll have an owner of a division, mm -hmm. and so they'll basically be... Uh, managing the operation so the Bay Area division the Sacramento division yeah et cetera. and okay. two divisions make up a conference okay. and in each case we'll have them in pairs so they'll be between you know 30 minutes to 90 minutes drive apart you want it to be far enough that the territories are definitely mm -hmm. separate you have your own territory. no traffic in San Francisco <laughs> <laughs> that's right you gotta take that into account yeah. but uh, but you you want it close enough that uh, uh, you can actually have teams from one division go and compete with teams in the other division, right. but we're basically eliminating the travel expenses, mm -hmm. and uh, and the players are getting paid uh, through cash prizes, it's very similar to the way the FIBA circuit works today. Okay. So, but they'll be playing for some some real money, and the the championship at the end will be a two hundred thousand dollar cash prize. When you're only talking about four guys on a team, uh, they're they're each getting a nice So nice let's go back to the to the venue question because that's what I want to wrap yeah. my head around. 
Where in San Francisco would they play, for example? Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of space there. Well, yeah, I One mean... One of the ideas is you don't need a lot what, of space for this. Yeah, what I'll tell you is we're, we're definitely thinking high-traffic locations uh, where there will be a built-in audience. Right. And we're... It's not going to be a situation where we we need to really change people's behavior right from the beginning and, and have them going to an arena specifically to see 3x3 uh, 100%, but where we'll actually be getting a lot of exposure for the sport. That's right a really interesting idea, mm-hmm. Bring, bringing the business to the fans, yeah, not and getting the fans to the business. Yeah, so we want to attack it from both angles. Definitely, we, we see we're, we're going to be... Uh, pulling fans in to, to come experience this, but we think it's really important to be where there are going to be a lot of people just running into it. Right, Joe, you're thinking of is I don't know if you've ever seen this, Michael, in New York, but every winter uh, the squash associations does yep. sets up a squash Grand Central court at Grand Central. I've actually yeah, it's seen really video of really that. cool. Yeah, uh, and and a really great way to promote the sport. So I don't know if there's enough room for basketball. That's but there's a there's an idea for you. Absolutely, yeah. you know, I looked into it because that cube they have mm-hmm. is just so mm-hmm. cool. But it's a little tight it, yeah. with three x three. The footprint is so small. That's right. one of the great things about it. You can put it just about anywhere. Right. That that place might. Be a little too tight. Or but. maybe, Joe, next year when you finish Beat the Streets Wrestling. You could do it you right there. Times Square. Bring in, yeah. Or Bryant Park or a million yeah. different places. And, right. you know, it's not dissimilar. And we've had Michael Newman on the podcast before. And I don't remember whether you've crossed paths with Michael, but Michael was one of the original uh, Hoop It Up people when the NBA mm-hmm. launched Hoop It Up, obviously right. on a much smaller, a much bigger level in terms of participants and not kind of the breakneck. very dance. different time in the media business. A different time in the media business. Yeah, I actually did get to meet yeah. Michael at uh, World Congress. There you yeah. go. Okay. Um, and then um, the other question, which Tom touched on a little bit, is rights. So I guess as you're the owner of everything, you kind of own the IP. So you'd have sales rights and marketing rights and, and licensing, ad- licensing yeah. and advertising and all those things kind of rolled up into one because you basically create the league, you control all the property, correct? Yeah, that is one of the nice things about being a startup uh, in this situation. It's like none of our rights are locked down. Uh, it, it's wide open. And, uh, it, you know, these days there's, there's a lot of interest in, in live sports content. And particularly when you're talking about something, like I said earlier, that is, is made for mobile but also has a global audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and with, with what's coming on... Uh, on Friday here, uh, the announcement about the Olympics, yep. uh, that's that's obviously going to be a big game changer. And for, for everyone who's listening will know this by now is that uh, it's all indications are that the IOC will adapt three-on-three as a discipline. 3x3. 3x3. As a discipline under traditional basketball for the Tokyo Olympics. And for those Which who is do- what year? Uh, 2020. Right. So, for, but for people who say that's kind of a little bit weird because they don't have to add, it's adding another sport, they're not. It's like skiing and snowboarding under one umbrella. So, right. the IOC can add as many disciplines as they want under an umbrella, you know, horse jumping and dressage, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. swimming and all the, you know, the various synchronized things. Swimming. Synchronized swimming and track and field and everything right. that goes into that. So, by adding it, they're not adding a sport, they're adding a that's discipline an point. that goes under basketball, which FIBA has already built up and they're looking for millennials so this actually fits into everything that they want and you know a business like what michael is doing with free ball kind of walks into an opportunity like rugby did last year Mm -hmm. where suddenly you are an olympic sport 
and that changes kind of the way people view you. It's like you're a little bit more pretty than you were before you cut your hair differently and suddenly everybody thinks you're a pretty good date. Yeah, it also <laughs> creates a, a, a different calculus for media distribution with a, with a global audience. Yep, right? absolutely. Yeah. So, so you have the advantage of having a, a built-in audience in some huge countries, uh, starting with China probably, uh, and parts of Europe and things like that. And, it, and so it's an interesting thought that with these over-the-top platforms, your addressable market is a global marketplace. It's not necessarily going to be a linear opportunity mm -hmm. reaching 115 million households <laughs> in the U.S. I mean, if that were the model from 20 years ago. Yeah, no, we see our market ultimately as the world. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned China, uh, obviously we all know how popular basketball is all over China. And, and there are courts everywhere. There, and uh, But what... what most people play in China is is three on three. Is that right? Uh, yeah, okay. I think most people in the United States is what they would play originally is three on three too. Yeah, and, I, and what what I've uh, what George Raveling actually told me was that there are more people playing three on three basketball in China than there are people living in America. So you can imagine it's just from line. a participation standpoint, that could be the title of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, Definitely a big market. Out and, there. and you know, we would be remiss in, in not talking about another venture that's out there, which is going to be different from what you're doing. Um, which is the Ice Cube League, which will launch in, in the Barclays Center in June. Um, but it's a totally different model. It's not the same rules, and it's probably much more of an entertainment thing with players who are much older who are marketing to a different audience. These are the obviously. retired NBA players. These are the retired NBA guys, which, by the way... What's the official name of that? It's called... Um, Big, Three. Big Three. Big Three. Which, by the way, the NBA did during the All-Star Game, for people who may remember, and it didn't really work because the guys weren't in shape and they had a lot of pulled muscles and they actually got out of it and started to change some of the other things that they were doing because they didn't see a market for it. But, you know, it's obvious, Michael, that, that you're on to something if big names are going to try and do something that's kind of similar in a different venue. And obviously, you know, probably for, for something like this, a startup for you, you know, a rising tide float, floats probably all ships at this point. Uh, definitely, yeah. No, we're really excited to see what Big Three is up to, and uh, you know, right, right away, as, as soon as people heard that Allen Iverson was was playing, I mean, it just helped legitimize Three X Three in this country as a professional sport. We're taking a very different angle, but we we definitely like the fact that they're kind of helping with the Three X Three movement that we feel like we're a part of. Mm -hmm. So let's let we have to go back to the media uh, discussion for a minute, if you don't mind, because this yeah. is one of the most interesting things that's happening in the business right now. So you mentioned the uh, paramount value of live sports, and we know a lot of it's moving to over the top and to the big digital distributors like Facebook, Amazon, sure. etc. So I, I know you probably can't talk about anything specific right now, but conceptually, yeah. can you talk about that? Because the idea of looking at a company in your situation like Facebook with close to 2 billion global reach mm -hmm. with an emphasis on live video with the tie-ins with the VR and AR that are coming it seems like a potential marriage made in heaven if they would have you yeah like, I mean, that's one example the others would might be interested too right. but that's one example yeah no, we're, we want to be where the audience is going to, to see our games and all of our content and, and you know there's it goes beyond just the games. There's a lot we can do behind the scenes documentaries and and uh, the really good background profiles on each of these individual players. I mean, this is a new game that's going to need new stars. 
and so we'll uh, we'll be building that up. But yeah, no, clearly, and, and especially considering where we're based, you can imagine that we we definitely have great interest in in some of those companies in the digital space, and the fact that it is a global product, uh, there's no reason to limit it to uh, just one way of reaching the audience. Uh, but there's definitely a local. Uh, angle to this, so you know the regional television right. networks make a lot of sense as well. Of course, yeah. But uh, but yeah, we don't have uh, any announcement to make at, at this stage. But uh, but we're definitely talking to those guys. Right. So you just mentioned the the uh, interest in your location. You know, Silicon Valley, essentially San Francisco. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about what's behind Three Ball, but are there any Silicon Valley types? that are paying attention or involved with you that you can talk about? Because there uh, seems to be this obsession with basketball right now, partly because of the Golden State Warriors, uh, and partly because of Silicon Valley, our yep. show. A great basketball mm-hmm. reference recently. Yep. Um, so is there anything going on with, with Silicon Valley with this business? Not anything I can talk about okay. at this point. Okay. Fair but, but in fairness, you, you, know, you touched about your principal investor, and another person who's been very much involved in sports, who's involved with you and has been advising you is Andy Dolich. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone else who's in the Bay Area who's been around many successful startups and has built the sports business. So you've got kind of an interesting core group. Um, and I'm sure as this thing plays out, hopefully, you know. No, I'm just thinking, yeah. of guys, the obvious ones like Bomber, right. Cuban, you know. Yeah. Although they're technically not Silicon Valley. Yeah. They're kind of part of that scene. So. We haven't actually had any conversations with them yet. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I could definitely They listen to our podcast. Fit. Fit. So. Well, maybe we can get you on Shark yeah. Tank and you can yeah. you know, look for <laughs> your next investment from, from the sharks. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Michael, before we let you go, and we're going to wrap up, and we have two questions that we always ask people, which I'll let Tom throw out this time. Um, but where, um, as people look for this now, um, and, and the NBA, and you know, I'm sure you've had discussions with USA Basketball and other people, and the NBA ironically has started and has built a pretty good grassroots following for three-on-three for kids. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine there's probably a simpatico relationships that you'd love to work out with, you know, the big players as this thing kind of evolves, and you could fit into a pretty good niche for them, I would imagine. Yeah, well, we've actually talked to the the guys who run the D-League, right. uh, Malcolm Turner mm-hmm. and his team, and there are actually some, some great ways that what we're doing can, can benefit the D-League from the standpoint of, you know, we're in the off-season, so there's obviously no conflict, but it's more opportunities for players, and, you know, sometimes uh, they're competing with, with Europe for the talent. So the more opportunities players have to, to make income during the offseason, it actually can increase the pool. And one of the guys that we had on that team that got the silver medal in China, he was actually about to sign a contract to play in Mexico. Hmm. And uh, we were trying to, to get his attention. What was he his name? Alfonso McKinney. Okay. Uh, just six foot eight, incredibly athletic, uh, well-rounded player. And uh, we... He wouldn't return our calls. Uh, three on three, yeah, but once once he understood what it was, and uh, I mean, he was blown away by what a big deal the three x three has become. He he really starred for us, and then he ended up because he he got seen uh, doing our thing. He ended up uh, with the Windy City Bulls, uh, the D League team for the Chicago Bulls, and now he's one of the hottest prospects in the mm-hmm. D League for for the NBA. Great success story. And the last thing we'd be remiss in asking because we try to balance it out is, is there a women's component to this down the line too? And would, do you know if, 
uh, people will know, obviously, because they'll be listening to this, but is there a women's component to the Olympic side? And then, Tom, you can ask the two questions that we always ask to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, I can't talk specifically to the Olympics, but I'm sure that's the case because FIBA's effort has definitely been for both women men and women. Okay. And uh, Would you we, fit that in at some point if it worked out to have a women's league as well? Yeah, I mean, we've got to... Mm-hmm. You've got to do one thing first, but right. yeah, definitely there'd be potential for that. And uh, you know, when we went to the the World Cup in Guangzhou last year, yeah, it's there are twenty countries for men's and there's twenty countries for women. Great. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely covering uh, both mm-hmm. genders. So Michael, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on in this business as it relates to your agenda and building three ball. How do you keep up with everything? What do you read? What do you listen to? Who do you follow? How are you staying smart? I mean, obviously, uh, Sports Business Journal is a favorite. Stay on that. I've been uh, been reading a lot of sports techie. Mm-hmm. Uh, just trying mm-hmm. to stay Very on top of in this business. Yeah, they just, do a great job. And things are moving so fast there. You gotta stay on top of that. And to be honest, uh, a lot of it just comes from people in my network sending me articles. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily focusing on any sp- specific uh, site or thing like that. I've uh, it's sort of uh, thrown my way, and and I kind of filtered as I go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's definitely a lot of information out there. Yeah. And, uh, I'm trying to keep up. All right, good. Um, and the last question is um, <clears throat> some career advice you can offer our listeners, uh, either early stage career developers or mid stage or or even older folks who are moving around. So you've had a really interesting path from Stanford to Three Ball. Tell tell us uh, some advice. Well, I guess if if you're looking at an entrepreneurship, uh, I mean, I think it's it's not for everyone. I think uh, people who who want to go for for that kind of career probably know who they are uh, at an early age. You think? I really think so. Yeah. I think it's it's where it just the idea of working a more conventional job and working for someone uh, just doesn't feel right and uh, that you're, you always have ideas and, and you want to and follow you recognize that in yourself when you were younger? Yeah, I, I did actually. I'm just curious, were you conscious of that as a younger guy? I think I became more conscious of it once I got to business school. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I definitely always kind of went the more, went down the more unconventional right. path. Okay. But I remember I had a class in grad school uh, and it was actually taught by Irv Grausbeck uh, and it was entrepreneurship, so it was a really kind of more of a f- my first formal introduction to the to that whole area of of, uh, of business. And one of the things that really stuck with me from that was he, he talked about how people always uh, look at entrepreneurship or going down that road as risky, and uh, the decision not to uh, follow that path is is to avoid risk. But he brought the idea of the risk of not following your dream, or the, uh, or the risk of uh, you know kind of looking back with regret that you didn't go for it. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as on on that, the the advice that I would have is, I mean, if you really believe in something, uh, you know, go for it with everything you've got, and stick with it. Uh, you'll you'll probably hear no five hundred times. Not probably you might hear no five hundred times. Uh, before you get a yes, uh, so your conviction will definitely be tested. But if if you're someone who who 
uh, isn't as interested in in just kind of working for a big company and uh, and for somebody else, and you really want to blaze your own path, then then you just uh, need to to really stick with your your dream and and go all the way with it. Outstanding. Great. That's good advice. Yep. So Michael Renovic, CEO and founder of, of Three Ball. Where do people find you, and where can they get more information? Well, this stage we don't have the full website up yet. It's a more of a splash page, but I'd love people to see uh, the video that we just put up there. It's threeball.tv, and uh, you can reach us through that as well. Just uh, click on the email us button. Love to hear from you. Great. It's a good. It's a good quality promotional video. I looked at it before. You guys did a good job. All right. Thanks. Amazing. A excitement. lot more to come. Well, thank you for that conversation. It was terrific. Yep. Tom, once again, another great thanks learning experience. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. This has been awesome. Take care. And once again, this was another version of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about sports business. I'm Joe Favorito. Tom Richardson, join me again. Thanks, Joe. Good show. And we'll catch up on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my host is Joe Fabrito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.